to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Again, good morning. Welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church to the Modern Service. It's so good to be in worship with you this morning. I want you to know if you or somebody you know is looking for a preschool on February 1st, we're opening enrollment for the Roswell Presbyterian Preschool about 120, 150 kids right here on the north end of the campus uh, every day of the week. We invite you to enroll, invite some friends. It's going to be a great time. It's a vital ministry of our church. And then I want you to know on Wednesday, February 7th at 5.30, we're having an event with the Sandwich Project. We're going to come, we're going to eat dinner together as a community at 5.30, and then we're going to make sandwiches for the food insecure in our area. So this is an easy way to serve. Whole family can do it, young, everybody in between, and invite you to do that. And that's on February 7th. Last week, we continued our Help sermon series, and we looked at grief. And today, we're going to shift a little bit, and we're going to look at the issue of fear. Our text is Isaiah 41, verse 10. So let us open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we know that all of us wrestle with this issue of fear. And so I pray that you might shine a light on it today into our hearts, that we might be people who trust you, that can face our fears, people of hope, people of faith, people of courage. Now may the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, be pleasing, your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've learned a lot from my little sister over the years. One of the great lessons she taught me came in a throwaway comment from a couple years ago. We were at the beach vacationing with her and her husband, my kids, and then her daughter, Juniper. And at the beach, I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot of dangerous things to be scared of at the beach. You have the enormous ocean, fear of drowning, fearing getting taken out to sea with a riptide. All sorts of things to be scared of on the beach. People driving their golf carts, not paying attention. An errant frisbee, the bullying big kids. There's all sorts of places you can get hurt at the beach. You can get hurt at the pool. The pool side, you get hurt running when they tell you not to. <laughs> but there's maybe no more dangerous place at the beach than the playground jungle gym. And it amazes me that these things are basically designed to terrify watching parents. Right? You, you have swings that like swing like they're trying to launch children to the moon. You, you have these walkways, these like bridge-like things that'll be like 10 feet in the air and you're walking along and right in the middle there's a giant hole with a ladder going down. And I'm always wondering, like, what happens if a kid doesn't see the hole? 
Can't use the ladder. On this particular beach, jungle gym, there's this arch. It goes about 20 feet in the air. And there's kind of roped webbing like a spider web that goes down. And it's great. Big kids can play all over it. You can climb up it. They hang like upside down on it. They jump off it into the sand. That's the big kids. But for the big, the little kids, this can be troublesome. This is exactly what happened to my niece, Juniper, who was a, a diminutive five-year-old at the time. She climbs up the arch, and she gets about two-thirds the way up, and then she makes a rookie mistake. She looks down, and she sees how high she is, and she gets scared. And she begins to cry, Mommy, Mommy, help me, help me. And we look at each other, and we think it's probably not a good idea for us to try to climb up there and get her, because that might make a bad situation worse. And so she continues, Mommy, Mommy, I'm scared, I'm scared. My sister says, Juniper, you're going to have to climb down. She goes, I can't, I can't, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared, help me. And then my sister, she says one of the wisest things I've ever heard. She says, Juniper, you can be scared and brave at the same time. Juniper, you can be scared and brave at the same time. Being a pre preacher while Juniper's dangling, suspended in thin air, I said, hold on, i got to write that down. <laughs> you can be scared and brave at the same time. Isn't this what is required to live a full and flourishing human life? Isn't knowing how to find the right balance between fear and bravery part of the trick to life? Life demands that we are able to act, to move forward in the midst of fear. You can be scared and brave at the same time. Juniper was experiencing fear that we all experience in our lives. I ask you, what brings fear to your heart? To your mind. Maybe it's fear of the future. Oh, I'm, I'm scared about what could happen. Maybe it's the fear of rejection. Fear of asking someone on a date, befriending a stranger. Maybe it's the fear of going to the doctor. I'm afraid what she might tell me. Fear comes in all shapes and sizes. I recently came across an article about escape room designers. I've never been to one, and I don't intend to go to one. But I know people who have. And this is like where they lock a group of people in a room, and then they have to solve puzzles and problems in a limited amount of time in order to be released from the room. And one of the things these escape room designers try to do is they try to use light and, and sound and the other senses to play on the participants' emotions to make them scared. And I read that escape room designers boil down fear into three types. Primal fear, rational fear, and irrational fear. Primal fear arises from our evolutionary history. It's the kind of fear that has helped us stay alive as a species. Those people that are afraid of snakes 
tend not to get bit by snakes and therefore are alive. Primal fear is about survival. This is a good kind of fear. I love the story of Jesus walking on water in Matthew 14. The disciples are all in a boat. You know, they're all fishermen. And Jesus, surprisingly, walks out on the water, the scripture tells us, and he invites Peter to come out. Now, Peter knows you usually don't walk on water unless it's an exceptional circumstance. So he gets out, and he's walking on the water, and then he looks at the waves, and everything in his life is trained to be scared of those waves, and so fear invades, and he begins to sink until Jesus comes over and saves him. That kind of fear is primal fear about our survival. It's good for us. The fear of driving our cars too fast. The fear of being chased by a lion. The fear of death. These are natural, primal fears. Fear is a biological reality. At the front of our brains are two almond-shaped structures called the amygdala. It's where when we sense, we have our five senses, sight, taste, touch, smell. Signals go to our amygdala first before our brain even recognizes it. And our amygdala determines whether it's a threat to us or not. The amygdala is the center for our emotions, our emotional behavior and motivation. And before our brain ever knows about these senses, the amygdala has to make a decision if it's a threat or not. It's an unconscious decision. This is why your heart will begin to race when you're scared. You might begin to breathe faster. Your mouth might get dry. This happens unconsciously, and it's good. It can save your life. As human beings evolved, the amygdala played a a big role in helping save us. But if we let the amygdala control our lives, it can ruin us. We have primal fears, but then we have irrational and rational fears. And it's very important that we can determine the difference between the two. Rational fears are things that we should be afraid of, but we have to make our way through them. I'm afraid to go to school on the first day. Sorry, buddy. Got to go anyway. (laughs) I'm afraid of public speaking. Well, better figure it out. I'm afraid of going to the dentist. This is going to come up in a future sermon after my last week. And, but you know, like you have to go to the dentist even though you're scared because things could get much worse. Those are rational fears. Irrational fears are fears that don't make logical sense and they vary wildly from person to person. When half of your brain is scared and your other half of your brain is wondering why, that's an irrational fear. So fears like coulrophobia, the fear of clowns, raise a hand. (laughs) Phasmophobia, the fear of ghosts. These are fears that escape room designers specialize in. The question is, how can we make our way through these fears? Maybe the best way to process and deal with fear I've seen comes in a book written by a pastor named Adam Hamilton. The book is called Unafraid, Living with Courage and Hope in Uncertain Times. He explores the effect the amygdala can have on us. Then he observes that fear actually can become a habit. And he says if fear can become a habit, then we can also, what he says, is unlearn fear. 
And by unlearning fear, we find freedom. Because if we're going to become the people God has created and called us to be, we're going to have to unlearn fear. So how do we do that? Well, Hamilton, being a good preacher, offers an acronym. F-E-A-R. Fear. The first letter is F. Stands for facing our fears. You have to face up to them. Therapists will often treat fear with what they call exposure therapy. By facing our fears head on, we begin to overcome them. This is why the writer Ralph Waldo Emerson once wrote, Do the thing we fear and the death of fear is certain. In every list of fears, public speaking always ranks up near the top. And you may think that since I'm a preacher, I'm like totally cool with public speaking. Not true. I remember when I was first learning to preach early on, and I was terrified. My voice would crack. I would talk really fast, or I would talk really slow, or I wouldn't talk at all. (laughs) And a friend of mine came to hear me preach, and afterwards I was like, so what'd you think? He's like, man, you looked like a deer in the headlights. (laughs) I was terrified. And I remember finally I had to look at myself, have a conversation in the mirror. Said, man, your fear is becoming distracting. It's a problem. Your fear is getting in the way of people hearing the word that they're meant to hear. And so finally, you know what I did? I just said, I'm gonna have to fake like I'm not afraid. I'm gonna have to pretend that I'm not afraid. It's one of the reasons I yell, to get through the fear. Fake it till you make it. Over time, I didn't really get rid of my fear so much as I learned how to control and manage it. I rarely have a good night's sleep on a Saturday night. But over the years, by facing my fear, getting up again and again, I've learned to overcome my fear, to face it. The next letter is E, examine your assumptions. Not long ago, Gallup did a poll that said most people, 53% of people, worry about crime and violence in their communities. But did you know before the pandemic, violent crime rates had dropped by more than half since the early 1990s? Did you know that the murder rate had dropped to the level it was in 1964? But oftentimes we experience fear because of the media, because of marketing and advertising, politicians. People will try to exploit our fears for their own benefit. A few years ago, there was an essay in The Atlantic. The title was Donald Trump and the Politics of Fear. It quoted a Republican political strategist who said something profound. And I quote, he said, Fear is the simplest emotion to to tweak in a campaign ad. You associate your opponent with terror, with fear, with crime, with causing pain and uncertainty. You should remember this over the next 10 months. This is why we must examine our assumptions in light of the facts. The third letter is A. You have to attack your anxieties. You have to get after them. Did you know that there's a positive kind of fear in the Bible? It appears again and again, and it's called the fear of the Lord. It's a fear we're actually called to have. Listen to this, Proverbs 9.10. I just took a representative example. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
In Deuteronomy 10, as Moses is about to give the Ten Commandments to the people, he charges them with these words. So now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In the book of Isaiah, I read a passage today where Isaiah says, do not fear. But in chapter 10, actually one of the distinctive qualities of the Messiah, he says is, listen to this. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. I could go on and on with examples. Do you know one of the biggest differences between the fear of the Lord and what I like to call as toxic fear? Is toxic fear immobilizes us, stops us in, a, in our tracks. We fail to act because of fear. But fear of the Lord demands a response. The fear of the Lord is a call to action. I love Psalm 112 because it's really clear. It begins in verse one. Happy are those who fear the Lord, it says. And then it goes on to list out the things that people who fear the Lord ought to do. Listen to this. Those who fear the Lord, they are gracious, merciful, and righteous. They deal generously and lend. Those who fear the Lord, they conduct their affairs with justice. Their hearts are steady. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. The fear of the Lord leads to action. Fear of the Lord is staying in our tracks, but it's, it's, it's reverence. It's awe. It's a sense of honor. But it calls us to act, to respond to the call of God. So toxic fear causes us to be suspicious of those who are different than us. The fear of the Lord calls us to reach out in love. Toxic fear causes us to hold a grudge. The fear of the Lord calls us to forgive. Toxic fear causes us to to fear the future. The fear of the Lord calls us to step out in faith. Face your fears and then take action. And then R, release your cares to God. If you are overcome by fear, one of the first questions I'm going to ask you is, how's your prayer life? Have you tried giving your cares and concerns to God? Have you been able to release them from your hands into God's hands? Find a friend to talk to. Come talk to a pastor. Put your concerns on the prayer list. Find a way to open your hands and release your cares and fears to God. I should tell you, Juniper found a way to face her fear and come down off the arch. We actually were scheduled for a trip to vacation together again this spring break. And my sister just called and canceled. We were super bummed, but we know, knew it had to be for a good reason. So I asked her, she said, well, Jeff, my company just received a contract with Amazon Web Services to go to Italy and to do a video shoot with Ferrari. And I was like, oh man, that's, that's scary. That seems like a lot to take on. Are you intimidated? Are you frightened? Are you fearful? Are you nervous? Are you anxious? And then I remember what she told me. 
You can be scared and brave at the same time. Let's remember that. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for that good news that you walk with us. And because of your presence in our lives, we can experience fear and be scared. We also can be brave and step into the future. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.